Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? What will we do with the drunken sailor? The ship with black sails that's crewed by the dam. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean Minute podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films one blimey minute at a time. I'm Scott Artis from ScottArtis.com. And I'm Heather Artis from BlackPearlMinute.com. Thanks for joining us as we cast the black spot on Minute 79 of Dead Man's Chest. Black, you th- you black, thought Scuttle was coming, didn't you? But I tricked you. Black spot was a long time ago, though. Hey, I like to remind people of things that have happened in this movie so far. That's where I'm going with it. Okay. But it's Friday, and so there's only one thing left to say. In the previous minute... That young lad, Elizabeth Swan, finally tries to answer the age-old Pirates of the Caribbean question about Jack Sparrow's orientation. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And puts the moves on the unsuspecting captain. As Jack continues to bat for the hetero team, Elizabeth wishes upon a Tortuga star and transform into a real-life woman. Norrington proceeds to vomit. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Oh, there is. Jack hides the rum from Miss Temperance. And drops the mythical bomb that Will Turner is having a whipping of a time aboard the Flying Dutchman. Minute 78 begins with Norrington finally uttering, Chaman. How do you pronounce the C-M-A-N from Dutchman? <laughs> Chaman. Dutchman. No, because only C-M-A-N. Chaman. Jack sees Norrington. You look bloody awful. What are you doing here? Norrington fires back. You hired me. I can't help if your standards are lax. Jack goes all playground. You smell funny. Which prompts Elizabeth to rein in the insults by saying, Jack. Not really as excited like I did. Yeah. The minute ends with a wide-eyed Jack talking to Elizabeth, including saving brave William from his grim fate. Norrington asks Elizabeth, you don't actually believe him, do you? As Jack turns to Elizabeth with the serious eye. There's something about this minute that pushes me out of the Pirates of the Caribbean experience here. Well, then there's something that kind of pulls me back in. So I'm a bit torn on it. It's in, out, in, out kind of thing. So as I weave around to that good and the bad thing for me here. And the ugly. And the ugly. Norrington. Poor Norrington for right now. (laughs) There is some good setup and connection to what is proving to be the theme of the movie so far. The idea that Jack is torn between a love for Elizabeth, his heart, and the desire to find a key in the chest. We've discussed it quite a bit this season. Yep. Given the overt confusion with him is manifested by the spinning compass. Doesn't know which direction to settle on, so it kind of just spins and spins. We get a play on that theme here, which is why I bring it up. Essentially, Jack tests Elizabeth. He asks her, is finding Will really what you want most? Mm-mm. Right? Yeah. That's what I got out of that. Yeah. That's when that dramatic music is cued. She doesn't really give him the answer, and I say answer in finger quotations or finger quotes. So between him switching gears and her response, he gets this like wide-eyed, 
maybe slightly relieved or maybe a slightly disappointed look while taking a deep breath. Because I was thinking he was hoping just for a little kind of bit thing or whatever. For her to say no, she wants him. This would be where like that fantasy daydream would kind of come over us. <laughs> you know that thing in movies where all of a sudden you go, wait a second. Oh, then... It, or they just play right into it and it turns out that he was dreaming. Yeah. You know, it's that whole, if there was ever a cliche thing here where she grabs him and they kiss before he gets shaken back to reality. That's what I was expecting. Mm. Instead, he goes to plan B, right back into splitting hairs again, trickster role. Oh, I thought you wanted to save Will. Really a technicality? <laughs> Are you lorrying up, Sparrow? Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> Call them stereo. <laughs> it's like a stereo sparrow thing. So I thought you just didn't want to find him, but save him. Really? It's like, what the hell? Is this how we're going to play? Is this the game we're playing with words here? Yep. Sparrow. This is that damn sinister genie thing going on. Don't mess with the genies. Unless it's Barbara Eden, I guess. <laughs> Context and conversation its like can be so easily misconstrued. Then you end up on the short end of the stick or the deal with a genie. And that's what's going on with Jack. Because everybody else kind of thought the same thing. Oh, she wants to find Will. She wants to save him. It's all wrapped into one phrase. Yeah. He, on the other hand, is spinning this in his own salesman way. Oh, surely you jest. I thought you wanted to save him, not just find him. Yeah. You know, where is Wyvin when you need him? <laughs> that way he could circle talk Jack around in this situation. Because Jack, though, I mean, this is a different tone for him in this scene. I don't know if we've kind of seen this side of Jack before. Sure, we can say he's been serious. We see the switch from lighthearted to dead serious Jack before. Right. But this is a bit too smarmy for me. Laying it extra thick. This is like a snow job or a selling or drives me a little crazy kind of right. thing here. I have down that he's getting Elizabeth to do his dirty work. Yeah, he is doing that. Yeah. But he's doing it. It's like he's too goody two-shoes or phony or something. I can't really put my finger on it, but this isn't Jack, though. Yeah. I don't even think it's Jack when he's trying to not be Jack. I don't know. He's too calm and collected. Yeah. It doesn't, like, okay, it does go back to normal Jack right about second 36 is what I had noted. When he begins to talk about the chest of unknown size and origin. But at that point, it's familiar again. Just the way he's talking, the inflections in his voice, the speed and tempo of his voice. Yeah. But before that, it's like Jack has taken a sedative here. <laughs> his delivery is like very different. Maybe a little out of character. And that is just what I'm seeing there. I'm getting that feeling. Is it just because he's trying to deal with Elizabeth? I, I think it and is. there's a whole funky thing there anyway. and I think that's what it is. But it comes off not genuine from Jack, though. Right. And I know that he's not trying to be genuine. So from like a movie perspective, we're supposed to see as the audience see through this facade, this curtain of lies that he's weaving here. Yeah. But it doesn't come off even like he's playing that to me. That's what's wrong with it from my point of view. Because we've seen Jack try to double talk his way out of things and lie and do other things. But he's never taken this like really calm, collected, patient. It's almost like he's patronizing her. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Maybe that's putting my finger on it. It's like a patronizing voice action here. Right. 
He's acting and patronizing her. And that's what's bothering me about it. Because we don't see Jack do that. He lies to people. He'll uh-huh. do things like that. But I haven't really heard his voice and him acting like this particular way before. And that's what's throwing me out of the minute. Yeah. Because this also leads me to the music. I generally like the music in the movies. Probably would venture to say very much. I really do like it. Yeah. The soundtracks generally have like this outstanding, really adventure, swashbuckler quality to them. This whole vibe, which is what you want in a, hell, a pirate movie. Yeah. And it'd be weird not to have that kind of soundtrack with a pirate movie. You know, and the franchise delivers on that for the most part. But I'm not actually sure how I feel about the piece of music in this minute. Let me just play a small clip. I'll set the stage and then we can talk about it real quick. Are you certain? Is that what you really want most? Of course. Because I would think you'd want to find a way to save Will most. And you'd have a way of doing that. Well... There is a chest. Oh, dear. Did you see what I'm talking about? Or, not see. Did you hear what I'm talking about? It falls out of the usual Pirates of the Caribbean blend. Yeah. And I get that sense that it doesn't quite fit with the movie. No, it's almost like too romantic or too something. It's It's not right. Maybe it's not right for him and Elizabeth. Or I don't know if it's not right for the entire franchise. Because... Would it fit if it was Elizabeth and Will? And I don't even know if that's the case. I'm not sure. Almost like it was taken out of context. It's like they had the soundtrack and then they go, oh, we need something for here. And they pulled it from some other movie. Right. I don't know. Just kind of throwing it in there. We're going to have to ask the Facebook group to discuss this. Yeah. But yeah, that's the case. I, I don't know about it. I could be off base. Maybe I'm the only one who's thinking this. No, I'm thinking it too. It doesn't, it doesn't seem right there. Yeah, it just doesn't. It doesn't seem It doesn't like, go with the minute. It doesn't yeah. go with the movie. It just, it's weird. I think so too. And I say that with all of this, like getting a distinct out of character vibe for Jack Sparrow. So during part of the minute as well. So maybe that's what's contributing to it. Yeah. Because I have trouble putting my finger on it exactly. I said maybe it's like patronizing or something. But it has more to do with like a combination of music, acting, and the line delivery. Perhaps the tone is it sets than anything else is like this standalone kind of thing. I don't know. I know what Zimmer, Hans Zimmer, by the way, was trying to accomplish, but it seems to fall a bit flat for me. Not that the piece isn't good amongst itself. Yeah. But paired with the movie, the scene and what we know or who we know about Jack Sparrow himself, it either reads as going too seriously like sympathetic for Elizabeth's plight Or it drops the hammer too heavily down on the sympathetic, like, underhanded trickster route. Yeah. It loses the heavy-handed humor we just saw. We saw him having comments and kind of taking a more humorous, lighthearted tone. Then we get, like, a more serious, melodramatic Jack as opposed to the type of overdramatic person that he is. And he normally delivers. That subdued aspect is the problem for me. Or not from me. For me. There we go. (laughs) People are going, Mo, you're subdued today. No. Yeah, so I, I don't know what's going on with that. It, it's just out of character, doesn't jive with what's going on with the minute or Jack or something. There's, it's just something's wrong with it. Yeah. And when it's paired with the dramatic, like, mild tempo melody, it just takes me out of the whole Pirates of the Caribbean universe for a bit. 
And from what I can find, it wasn't actually on the soundtrack or expanded soundtrack either, because I was really trying to dive into it. So it was just thrown there. Well, I mean, it is, it, it's part of the complete score. Yeah. But it wasn't like included on the soundtrack or the ones that they released for sale, that kind of stuff. Okay. And it's called the dock scene, if anybody's interested. The dock scene is what this the duck piece scene. is called. The duck scene. The duck of death. And that's our unforgiven reference for the day. Because <laughs> maybe I will not forgive them for putting this piece of music in this movie. <laughs> or maybe I will. I don't know. For me, though, it has like this smidge of a connection to Porti Volare. But done so with like this slow tempo, it's like they slowed it down. A slow man's porti volare. That's what it reminded me of. And maybe that's why I was like ejected from the scene in this jarring sort of way. You know, something I haven't seen before in the films. It just, I don't know. The whole music thing, it just, and the acting, I don't know. There's something with this minute. That three off. Yeah, it did. I don't know what it is. Now I'm getting a little irritated, to be honest with you. Well, let's move past the music and get on to Pentelum Regetti. No, no, no. Wait. I don't know if I have anything, but because uh, we we're talking about the dock action with the music. Yeah. What I do really, really love is the movement of the floating dock that it provides with the scene, though. I know we kind of mentioned it last time. Yeah. We mentioned like more the ambiance of the dock and the set production. But here, everything else I don't like about this... At least that small part of it that, that throws me out before Jack comes back to normal. Second yeah. 36, I said. It's the movement that the floating dock provides everything here. Mm. It's absolutely great. Yeah. That can bring me back in. Because that's what brings it home for me and pulls me back in, as I was saying. As much as the music drives me away, the dock, it brings me back. Well, that's good. It's like an even Steven approach. That movement jives with the idea that we're right there on the dock watching all this go down. That's yeah, what I like about yeah. it. That gives me the sense of realism. Right. Even though Jack's acting, something's up with it. I don't know. <laughs> he was off that day. Yeah, maybe he was. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I wanted to mention on that. But we do get a good part, too. It's Rigetti and Pintel walking by loading supplies on the ship, as you were mentioning. Yeah. And they walked by like they were part of the conversation about the um, chest, yeah. Dead Man's chest. And Rigetti goes into Elizabeth's face with his little pumping heart. Yeah, he gives Elizabeth the creepy details of the dead man's chest. (laughs) Yeah. Along with the rum, box of rum they're holding. Yeah. Well, Jack's trying to sell this idea to Elizabeth, and these two idiots wander by and give her the nasty truth. It's like from the mouth of babes kind of thing here. Reminds me of that Andy Griffith episode where Andy is trying to sell his house and Opie is bringing up all the problems. Oh, the roof. Remember it leaks? Oh, that's only in heavy rainstorms, Opie. No, last time it leaked, it was just a light drizzle. <laughs> that's what Rigetti and Pintel are here. They're like the children. Yeah. They just blurt out whatever well, they choose. of course. They've always been children in this movie. They're Opie Taylor. Yeah. That's who they are. But then Elizabeth looks at him like she's going to go. She kind of gets a, like, she's going to talk, like, give a question. Like, what are they doing here? Well, that she gives, well... It makes Elizabeth do a double take. That's what happens kind of thing. And she has like a cringeworthy face like, oh my God, what? Yeah, she's confused. She doesn't know why they're there. Because oh, last she knew. Oh, you're right. See, yeah. that's okay. You know what? I completely 
forgot about that. You nailed it. That's why she gives the dirty look. I thought maybe it was because of the heartbeat action and the uh-uh. and Bye. their comments about the chest. But her scowl was exactly that because the last time she saw them, they were skeleton pirate people trying to kill her and uh-huh. everything else. That's what it was. I completely forgot about that. Yep. I already settled into, no, Pentel and Rigetti are part of the crew here, the Motley crew. No, she didn't know they joined his crew. They walked they by. They were Barbosa's crew before. That's right. They walked by. So technically the enemy. Give her the creepy truth. And she is going, what in the holy hell is going on here? Wait, Will came back to meet Jack. Pentel and Rigetti are here. What else is going on that I should know about? Right, because she starts forming the W of what, you know. Yeah. On her lips. And then she just kind of lets that go because she still wants to focus on Will. That's right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. I was so obsessed with the freaking music that I missed that classic bit of information. This is Elizabeth's first time uh-huh. seeing and getting a reintroduction to them. Yep. Because her memory of Pentel and Rigetti is skeleton nasty guys. Yep. And coming to her house, killing their poor butler, the idiot butler who opens the door, and... Calling her poppet when she's in the closet and right. taking them to Barbosa and then all of that ensues. Right. They're the catalyst for all this. For her. Yeah, yep. that's a good point. Glad I thought of it finally. But what I was really wondering, yes, and this is the problem with analyzing and scrutinizing a single minute. Would Rigetti like have the sound of a heart down? You know, he goes by making that sound. Yeah. It seems like that's more of a modern sound effects for hearts based on like stethoscopes or electronic monitoring devices. Oh, you're right. Because you would just know as whatever you would. I don't know. It's like I haven't listened to somebody's heartbeat like that in a while. I mean, maybe Yeah, but it doesn't make that No, it doesn't go. That's machines that do that. Yeah. That's the electronic sound. It'd be a different thump thump or something Uh in somebody's chest. He makes it sound like it's from a modern heart thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Something that you would hear... Nowadays, right? Not in the 18th century. Yeah, and that's what was going on. I was like, "What the hell is that?" I was wondering why that caught me like that. I thought it was really cool that he was backing up and like playing off of Pentel's. Ooh, there's a living heart in the chest, kind of thing. Yeah, he's going by spooking her a bit because they're still the they still have that mischievousness at heart. And they see Elizabeth. They're giving her a bad time, basically. Yeah. And he does the heart thing. And and I was watching. I'm like, I really like this. Uh-huh. Like the interaction. Because it was... I didn't think about the... This is their first time seeing him again. But it just... I thought, okay, this is taking back to the mischievous threesome that they were. Yeah. But, yeah, then I started to think about it. I'm like, wait a second. That's too modern. That's what I, that I got out of that. Yeah. And so that's when I started really going... Now, is this too modern for the 18th century? And I'm sure that this was just me being overly analytical. But nevertheless, I ended up looking up stethoscopes. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I was wondering what the hell was going on. Just to check it out. Just to see if I was off base or what. And so the stethoscope was invented in France in 1816 by René Linnaeus at the Necker Infants Malades Hospital in Paris. Huh. 1816. Close. Close, but no cigar. That's exactly it. (laughs) It was almost there. And I don't even know if the stethoscope really has that kind of sound. No, it would be, it would just amplify Yeah, what you so, would hear. If you put your head on somebody's chest, yeah, it, doesn't it would just sound amplify like that. that. That was the thing. Yeah. 
But anyways, this uh, stethoscope that dear Renee created, it consisted of a wooden tube and it was mono oral. So it was like, you know, for one ear. Kind oh, of thing. okay. It yeah. wasn't like you put stethoscope in both ears. Yeah. It was just like a one ear listening device kind of thing. And he invented the stethoscope because he was uncomfortable placing his ear on women's chest to hear heart sounds. I don't blame him there. I could be a little weird. That's why all the other doctors were angry at him. <laughs> They're like, you, bastard. We enjoyed that. <laughs> exactly. That was the best thing we could look forward to. And oh, he took that away from him. That's funny. He was more of the modest type. Yeah, exactly. He was a nice doctor. Yes. Everybody else just wanted uh, ears to chest. <laughs> he, is, he observed that a rolled piece of paper placed between the patient's chest and his ear could amplify heart sounds without requiring physical contact. So how, he did he, a, how did he get there? Because he was so probably embarrassed of having to touch that he's like, oh. how can I do this? And I, he's rolling things up. Because actually when I was doing some reading about this, yeah. it amazes me what I read about on this kind of stuff for the show. But it actually they got kind of the idea of the old hearing aid that would have the tube oh, with like the big the, yeah. megaphone kind of thing. It was yeah. the ear horn, I think they called it, or something like that. You know, yeah. it looked like a horn, but you could put it in the ear. You'd see it in a lot of old cartoons that they would... Always joke about the old lady who couldn't hear, and she'd have well, the, like, like this big tube in her. Guy on Wild Wild West had it. There you go. It was in all the Good time. Good reference. Though. Yeah, he mm-hmm. had kind of a ear tube thing going yeah. on, ear horn. So that was kind of the premise that he used to be able to do that. He thought, hey, maybe this will work. And so essentially, it kind of looked like a longer version of that that would have a kind of the sprawled out horn piece at the end, whatever the hell that's called, that he could place against. The chest, uh-huh. and then it would come up like this wooden tube, and he could listen into the other ear. Hmm. So, yeah, that was it. Very interesting. That way he didn't have to have any physical contact. Oh, makes her uncomfortable. Might as well come up with the solution. Exactly. And now he's gone down in history as the most hated doctor ever. <laughs> Until modern times. Back then, it was a whole different story. I have a little fact here. That's amazing. You're actually bringing a fact to the table. Yeah. Okay. Kira Knightley had to, I was looking at her hair. Yeah. She had really short pieces like around her, you know, the side of her head. And I was like, that's kind of weird because she has long hair. So it's kind of weird to have these little short pieces, right? So I found that she had to actually wear hair extensions in this movie. Because oh, did she, she? She cut her hair short for the role of for Domino in 2005. For Domino? For a role in Domino. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not familiar with that. Yeah. But that actually brings up another question. Is her hair supposed to be tied up under the hat? It's in a ponytail in the back. Is it in a ponytail in the yeah, back? Yeah, so it's, it's just tied. wrapped in a tight ponytail in the back. Okay. That's what I was wondering because I knew that when she comes back later, possibly in the future, she takes off her hat and she's not the lad anymore that she would have long hair again. Right. But you can see from the side of her head that it, she has short hair. Well, it looked like short hair. Uh-huh. But then she had a ponytail in the back. Gotcha. That's why I was wondering if she actually cut it for that. But then I was thinking that we're not seeing cut hair yeah. later on. No. So the idea, though, for her is that it's just pulled back in a ponytail and yeah. hidden under a hat. Yeah. But in reality, it was cut short for uh-huh. a role in a movie. Okay. Yep. There we go. I also have a couple of other facts about Davy Jones. You don't have to announce them. You just have to hit me with them. Okay. The Flying Dutchman. The hierarchy among the Flying Dutchman crew is reflected to how they mutated. So the more mutated somebody was, the higher they were in the crew. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Then what about 
our dear friend Treebeard then. He's got to be the highest of them all. Yeah. So newcomers have a low level infections, which resemble rosacea, while veterans Propecia. have... Rosacea. <laughs> While veterans have full-blown undersea creature attributes. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. hmm And then Davy Jones had originally been designed to have chin gross before the designers made the move to full-blown technicals. Oh, really? hmm I like this look better. Yeah. I can just imagine him being different, but I, I like the, the whole octopus the thing yeah. look. Yeah. His skin incorporates the texture of coffee-stained styrofoam cups, oh, yeah, among we other about elements. That. Yeah, we brought up that whole somebody from ILM or something like that had a stained coffee cup yeah. thing, and that's where they got the coloring and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. So anyway, those are my facts for the day. Okay, then we can end on facts instead of Elizabeth's hair. That's a fact. I know, but I'm just saying we're ending on. Like Davy Jones octopus facts. Yes. Then on like You're hair right. extension facts, which is a little bit more exciting. Okay. I don't know. At least for a Friday anyways. Yes. So unless you have anything else, That's I'm going to wrap it up. We'll be back on Monday then with minute 80. Hard to believe minute 80 of Dead Man's Chest. Until then, scallywags, let's keep the horns swoggling to a minimum and the rum drinking, as Heather would say, for the to weekend a to a maximum. All right. We'll see you again on Monday. There. I'm just a subdued ending in honor of Jack's creepy-ass minute here that I didn't really like. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. You've been listening to The Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, scallywags. Heather, I know you're still on pirate time and kicking back with the booze, but you may have noticed... Actually, who am I kidding? The only thing you've noticed lately is the inside of the Faithful Bride Tavern. Anyways, our procrastination has paid off yet again and Season 2 is here and we are willfully unprepared. Maybe we can distract people with a Jack Sparrow wave of the hands and send people across that thing called the internet. Check us out on Facebook.com slash Pirates of the Caribbean Minute, Twitter.com slash Black Pearl Men, Instagram.com slash Black Pearl Show, soundcloud.com slash pirates of the caribbean that's for best of clips and by all means give us a plug and review on itunes we'd appreciate it mateys oh and let's not forget the facebook cursed crew listeners group for post episode discussions that's actually a lot to remember especially if you're in a foggy haze like heather just go to blackpearlshow.com and everything is there at the click of a button perhaps i should have just said that from the beginning This is a Shoutreach Media Production. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun. I think all you dirty, filthy bilge know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music... That's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, and maybe Heather.